listening to Liberty Lighthouse. Join the conversation now. Call or text 64-MY-RIGHTS. That's 646-974-4487. Hello, my fellow patriots and freedom fighters. Welcome to the Liberty Lighthouse on the Mojo 50 Radio Network and soon the 365 Broadcasting Network as well. Today, we've got a guest with us. We're going to start our show by talking to Mr. Ed Wynn. And uh, when I told my wife that, she was waiting for her last name. No, it's not Edwin. It's Ed, first name, last name, Wynn. Uh, his book, We the People, Restoring Civility, Sanity, and Unifying Solutions to U.S. Politics. That sounds amazing. And to be quite honest, it actually sounds a little... Uh, well, fantastical, like, like you know, fantasy world. But that's why we have Ed on the phone, so that he can discuss these things with us and figure out whether or not uh, it's possible in today's partisan world. So uh, why don't we just dive right in and get started? You have just entered... The Liberty Lighthouse, where we cut through the fog of politics with common sense and logic. Coming to you from Pennsylvania, the state of independence. And now, here he is, author of the book, Progress, Really? U.S. Navy veteran and your host, Peter Seraphine. Okay, so like I said, we have Ed Wynn on the phone. Ed has spent the better part of three decades working in all levels and all branches of government with both Democrats and Republicans. So that is impressive. What I find most interesting about that is he claims to not be a political insider. A little more impressive, uh, or additional impressive, I should say, uh, Ed also has degrees in both political science and a law degree and graduated cum laude for both, which for me, I never went to college. So that is kind of impressive. Welcome to the Liberty Lighthouse, Ed. Peter, thank you for having me on the program. So restoring civility, sanity, and unifying solutions to U.S. politics sounds like uh, a pipe dream I, is the first thing that comes to mind. How do we do it? It's actually not that difficult in terms of the paradigm that we can use to get there. It does require us to learn more about civics, specifically those things that we have not been taught in civics classes, which is the first part of the book. The second uh, part of the book addresses the second issue, which is what are the causes of lack of civility in our political discourse today, and correspondingly, how do we address each of those so that we can have a civil discourse? And then finally, in the third part of the book, I show how this framework can work in some of the most divisive issues that we face today. Okay, well, I, I told you before we started recording, I have yet to come finish your book, um, but the first part is where, I, where what I did read, and you do a very good job in the book of spelling out civics that most of us should have learned in primary and secondary school. Um, I, I think I learned that. I don't know if I learned it in school or if I learned it after the fact, but it was a very good review, and I think it would be more than a review for anybody 
uh, younger than me since most of politics and government has been gradually removed from our schools. The, the second part, though, one of the things that uh, was in the email back and forth between your uh, publicist and I was the, the example of words matter. And specifically, uh, the example given was the, the term climate change versus talking about clean air or clean water. Absolutely. I think one of the biggest problems we have in not having civil discourse with political matters is that we start with a label that is on clearly designed to promote one side or the other and getting to a civil and unifying solution. So the point about climate change is, you know, climate change or global warming, whatever you want to call it, and we can debate who came up with the term and who uses it and the whole thing. Those are all irrelevant. What is the real issue we're addressing? The real issue is global pollution. And so if we start with that and we say, Everyone would like clean air, clean water, clean environment, which I think most people would agree with. Then we can frame the issue correctly so that then we can marshal the facts that are relevant to that issue. And then from those facts, be able to discuss a range of potential solutions that include all the relevant issues relating to pollution and how to get to clean water, clean air, and a clean environment. And I think just that reframing opens up the possibility for us to get a unifying civil solution to this. I, I think it's great. I mean, words do matter. Um, the, the, you know, the current right now example would be the, the, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. I don't think anybody in the country would argue that, yes, black lives do matter. But I would argue until I am blue in the face that the, you know, the organized group, Black Lives Matter is a horrible, horrible thing. So words do matter, and and climate change it it, it, it uh, elicits an almost knee jerk response from both sides. That is absolutely true. You know, what is the change? Is the change good or bad? Uh, and if it's global warming, is it good or bad or part of the normal cycle that it's colder or warmer? And then anyone can basically say, well, it's colder here or warmer there to support a conclusion. But we're kind of engaging in a sideshow. The main event is pollution. So let's focus on the main event and not on the sideshow. That's great stuff. Um, any more examples that you're willing to share without everybody running out to buy your book? That- uh, no, I, I can absolutely do that. So... Um, let's take the one that you gave or one related to it. So the current debate over, you know, defunding the police or whatever the opposite extreme is to that, you know, we should have Confederate, uh, memorials. Uh, we're kind of creating a label that doesn't get at the real issue. So let's take defund the police. The, uh, issue with that is is that the right conclusion or position that we should take? What is the real issue? The issue is how do we ensure public safety and do it in a way that doesn't create uh, racism, doesn't create uh, violence uh, where it's not justified, 
that's really the issue. And we need to start with what that issue is, then get the facts related to that before we can uh, hope to address the problem that we see. Because I think most people would say, in fact, I would say it's the vast majority, if not almost everyone, that the murder of George Floyd was not what we expect of our police. It's not what we expect at all. And I think we need to take that, get the data of other examples of that, and try to find a root cause. And um, particularly with that, as a former police commissioner in our small town, I did that for about 10 years, you know, one of the things that I would posit if I were part of that discussion is, or two things. One, what did, how do we recruit and select police officers? So if we start with that, uh, you would say, is there an issue about who we're selecting? Are they more prone to escalating violence or de-escalating a situation? Um, secondly, I'd look at the other three officers that were there, and in many other cases, there are similar situations where there are other officers that stand by and don't intervene or even say anything or question what's going on. That's an issue we ought to also address, and we ought to also address that it seems that many of these examples of uh, police violence or police murders end up in a situation where the officers involved have multiple complaints against them that seem to have just stated by. So, again, we need to ask ourselves those questions and have a serious debate about that rather than starting with a solution. Let's define the issue. Let's get the facts relevant to that issue. And then I think in a discussion we can see what solutions may help address the issues we've defined it. Uh, so don't put the cart before the horse. Find find the cause before you know throwing a dart to come up with a solution. That wow, that makes perfect sense. That's that's the basic idea, Peter. And I think we start with our positions, and this is another theme of the book. Let's not start with our individual positions, because the tendency I've seen is that people lock into those positions and they won't give an inch. Well, nothing is going to get solved in that situation. Let's start with a common purpose. What is our common goal? Most of these I think we can agree on. Then we have to get the facts, make sure they're real facts, not made up facts. And then from those facts, have a civil manner without uh, attacking people or name calling or any of that stuff that doesn't work. And then I think we could solve most of the problems that we have today. Well, I'm happy to say that I've been doing this show for just shy of a year. And at least on two occasions, by having guests on like yourself, I've had my mind changed on issues. So I'm not so stubborn that I can't be changed. And I'm, I'm very proud of that. But I want to back up to your real facts versus fake made up facts. You, um, and well, in your book description, it talks about how to get the real facts from our government. How yeah. do we get real facts from our government? Well, I think there's two things specifically on that topic. And then I can talk about how we can get facts that are relevant from, from other sources, not just our government. But as to our government, a lot of things that drive uh, behavior and actions and policies in government are based on money and influence. And that sounds very jaundiced, but it's actually true. Uh, and I can say that having been in government outside of it and observing and otherwise and researching it. And so we really need to get 
information about that. And in the book, I propose a way we can get that in a relatively succinct and meaningful way. And some, some of your listeners may say, well, wait a minute, we get a lot of information about campaign contributions, for example, because it's all, you know, located in some website somewhere. Well, that's absolutely true. The information is there, but the information is not, uh, presented in a way that we can make it relevant. So let me just give an example. If I were trying to find out if what, uh, Corporation X or Union Y were donating politically to a, a specific candidate, I couldn't find that out if I went there. And here's why. First of all, as you may know, in federal elections, uh, corporations cannot make direct contribution. And so I wouldn't see in the listing Corporation X or Union Y. You'd see a super PAC. They could do a super PAC, and we can talk about that too. But how would I get at that? Well, it's the individual members of that corporation or union and their spouses and family members. That's what I'd want to see if they contribute. The problem is all those names are listed, but I need a way to identify each of those people affiliated with that entity and then have a summation of all their contributions. And there's really no way to do that. So while it's a lot of information, it's not relevant and what we really need to find that out. So that's one example of what we would get from what we would need from government. Separate from government, I think we are bombarded with biased and point of view media, predominantly what we would commonly call the big three, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News. We, I think it's a foregone conclusion uh, based on just I think if we pulled 100 people uh, just randomly on the street, uh, a vast majority, if not all of them, would be able to tell us, based on naming either of those, any of those three networks, what their political bias is. But if news is supposed to be the opposite of bias, the opposite of a point of view, but yet everyone knows the point of view of these three large media sources, don't we have a problem? Absolutely. So how do we get those facts? If, if, I mean, if we don't have people on TV anymore that are willing to just give us the facts and walk away, like, well, like news is supposed to be, how do we get enough facts to be informed voters? And that's, that's tougher. And I suggest ways that we can do that. So one way is we have to focus. Uh, it's so tempting now because we're all so busy that we like to get our news very quickly, we like to get it succinctly, and we get it the uh, social media, tweets, and all this other stuff. And the problem with that is it's not the news we need, and it's inherently biased. So what do we do? Uh, first, let's look at sources that are less biased, and there are uh, websites that help do that. One that I like is allsides.com. Uh, they rank most of the media by their bias, and they take reader comments to validate their conclusions. So that's pretty good. So I rely on some sources there. I like NPR better than some of the others. I also like ProPublica. That's not for everyone because they do in-depth analysis, and people admittedly may not have time for all that. So absent, you know, in addition to that, what can we do? I have a really simple rule as to whether you can judge a so-called media news story 
from being biased or not, and there's actually two things you can do. First, anytime someone presents news or information to you and they don't have a citation for that that's valid, it's probably not fact-based. The second way you can tell is the more adjectives and adverbs that are used in the news story or the headline, the less unbiased it's going to be, and correspondingly, the more nouns and verbs they use, the more unbiased it's going to be. And those are just simple guides. We see so many times that these news stories in the headlines and certainly in the lead uh, sentences or paragraphs use emotionally charged language, and we get influenced by that. What I'm saying is when you see that, and I give a list of that those type of uh, words that you can see and find out whether uh, that's in a new story, and therefore you can figure out on your own whether it's more likely to be biased or not. Uh, interesting. One of my favorite things to point out in news articles is uh, you know, that the headline says, Person X did this. And then before you're even done with the first paragraph of actually reading the article, the words may have done this and you know possibly that or whatever all start showing up where the the headline and the article just don't even match up absolutely you know could have should have would have may have all those things those are just speculation uh and again as, as you know in my book i give examples on both sides of the partisan spectrum but i will tell you adequate support for a position is not people say, I've heard, uh, we all know. No, those are not factual support. In, in legal terms, those would be hearsay or double hearsay, never admissible in a court. But outside of that legal paradigm, you know, there's no way that we can test that information for its validity. So one of the things I'm proud about in the book, and maybe it's a distraction to the reader, is I have, and I'm just checking the book, almost 200 citations to the part of the book that uh, where I have major factual assertions so that you can check those on your own. And if you have the electronic copy, you can actually click on the link and see the support that I've used for the position uh, and for the facts that I've asserted. And for the listeners, I have to say, um, there, I, I'm not very far into the book. I'm, I'm a, maybe a third of the way through. And I have to say that there, there are a lot of footnotes, you know, uh, notations and i really am not sure of ed's political leanings and that is a good thing for the topic of his his book he does use examples and and he uses examples from both sides of the political aisle and um I, that uh, kudos to you because i couldn't do that two years ago when i wrote my book well peter thank you and that was one of my objectives yes i do have positions but on this for this purpose, I think we need to keep our biases out of it and focus on the issues. And, you know, when you get there in the book, the last substantive chapter is a concept that I use called switching it up. And I, I propose that really uh, to help people get past their inherent biases. And that's, so I use actual examples of things that may trigger people toward um, you know, a partisan position, and then they ask them to switch it up by changing the people involved to people on the opposite side and see if their position that they initially had changes based on 
uh, putting a different set of actors in. And it's pretty amazing when you go through that. You can identify your own self-biases just based on how the factual situation is presented, uh, if it's someone aligned with your beliefs or it's someone that's not aligned with your beliefs. And I think that's something we can all do to make sure we keep our partisanship appropriately in check. Right. I've seen people doing that on the streets where they interview just, you know, somebody walking down the street and, and read a quote to them and attribute it to, say, President Trump, even though it was something that President Obama said or, or vice versa. And, and the reactions that the people give, they, they react based on who they think said it, not on what it actually says. Um, so yeah, that's, that's good to be able to point out your own uh, biases or to be aware of your own biases. And we've got about three minutes left and I want to make sure that people can find your book. So how can people find We the People, Restoring Civility, Sanity, and Unifying Solutions to U.S. Politics? Peter, thank you. The book is available on Amazon. You can search it either by uh, the title, We the People, and my last name, Wynn, or you can uh, search by my name, H. Edward Wynn, and it's spelled W-Y-N-N. And I uh, heard the introduction, and yes, your wife would not be the first person that made that mistake. I've had a lot of people say when I introduced myself as Edwin, and sir, what's your last name? So, uh, yes, the last name is Wynn, W-Y-N-N. You can also find information about me or about the book on my website, hedwardwynnaltogether.com. Well, it was very bold move of you in using We the People as your title. I mean, those are very important words to American citizens and American patriots. I know many people that have them tattooed on their bodies someplace. They mean so much to us. So it was a very bold move to use that in your title. And it's important because, as you say, it's part of the Constitution. To me, that does not have any political charge. It's not meant to have any political charge, just to represent that our government is about us, we the people. That's right. Okay, so we still have about two minutes, and I have one more question that I wrote down. Um, are you familiar with the website isidewith.com? No, I'm not familiar with that, Peter. Let me write that down. Uh, I, man, I was hoping to get an opinion out of you. Okay, well, what I side with is, and it's I-S-I-D-E-W-I-T-H.com, um, they have a, a very lengthy, exhaustive uh questionnaire that you go through and you answer as many or as few questions as you like and you can actually uh, give strength or value to the questions like this is very important to me or this is less important to me and when you get through with the thing at the end it will uh, line you up with what political parties and what political candidates you most closely align with based on their stated positions and the answers to your questions. Oh, interesting. I'll have to check that out. And I've found it to be what it seems to be pretty nonpartisan, and I just wanted your opinion of it. But if you haven't used it, then I guess you don't have an opinion of it. I have not used it. I would tell you my general reaction, and this is uh, something that once uh, I thought got me in trouble, is I tend to qualify those answers because I, I don't always align completely with one viewpoint or the other in the story, and I think I may say it briefly in the acknowledgement, my first big political science class, uh, the first test was mostly true and false, and for almost every answer, 
I uh, qualified my answer and wrote a detailed explanation. And I had a note from the professor to come see her after class, and I was pretty nervous because you want to do well in your first class in your major. And it turned out that she appreciated that I just didn't uh, answer rotely, but that I was thinking through each of my answers. So I I'll definitely will check this website out, but I may have the same reaction to that that I did to that test. Well, you're actually allowed to do that in there. If there's not an answer that you like, you can add your own. Oh, that's perfect. Then that's made for me. It's it's actually, I think it's great. But thank you very much for your time, Ed. I greatly appreciate your call. Good luck on the book, and we will do what we can to uh, get you some sales here. Great. Peter, thank you very much. So that was Ed Wynn, author of the book, We the People, Restoring Civility, Sanity, and Unifying Solutions to U.S. Politics. We'll be right back on Mojo Five O. You're listening to Liberty Lighthouse on Mojo Five O Radio. What do you need? I mean, really need to protect yourself and your family. A home security system? A big scary dog? A gun? If you're committed to protecting your family, and we know you are, even a reliable firearm falls short of what you need. To keep your loved ones safe today, tomorrow, and every day, you need access to life-saving resources that will help you survive any threat and the legal battle that comes after. That's why the USCCA gives law-abiding people like you the self-defense training, knowledge, and legal protection they need to help ensure the safety of their family and future. Discover what the United States Concealed Carry Association can do for you and your family by visiting uscca.com slash mojo This Second Amendment moment is brought to you by Hunter's Warehouse at 130 West High Street in downtown Belfont, Pennsylvania. When the government was closing businesses, Hunter's Warehouse was open. When ammunition was out of stock everywhere, including online, Hunter's Warehouse had it. With thousands of firearms and truckloads of ammunition in stock, no wonder people drive for hours to visit Hunter's Warehouse. Go to Hunter'sWarehouse.net for all of your Second Amendment needs. Here he is again. A guy who thinks because he smokes cigars and drinks scotch that he is refined. Eh, so much for what you know there, Mr. British announcer guy. I've got bourbon tonight. Anyway, welcome back to the Liberty Lighthouse on Mojo 5 Radio and soon on the 365 Broadcast Network. Uh, I want to say thank you to Mr. Ed Wynn. I, I greatly appreciate your time, Ed. Uh, and thus far, it's been a good book. I recommend it. I want to talk more in that topic, though, about how ridiculous conversation has become in the political world. And, well, I mean, there's been movies about it that are just hilarious and you can't even discount them one of them is uh is an older movie um the campaign with uh will ferrell and it's it's funny stuff education is our future farmers are this nation's backbone bankers women veterans filipino tilt-a-whirl operators are this nation's backbone salamat that was uh will ferrell on the campaign trail in uh, the 2012 movie campaign. And his opponent in the movie is Zach Galifianakis. And there's some really funny campaign stuff in there. 
about just how ridiculous campaigns have become. So how do we cut through that? How do we learn what the other side is saying? How do we know what our guy is saying is true? Like, how do we find those facts? Like I said with Ed, one of the ways I find out who to vote for is the website isidewith.com. I know I've mentioned it in the show before, but it's a pretty good tool. It has me as like an 86% match to Joe Jorgensen, the libertarian candidate, like a 75% match to Trump or something like that. Um, But I'm probably still going to vote for Trump, at least this time around, because like I've said before, I really feel like it's Trump or communism. The reason the movie campaign came up is because just last night I watched a newer movie about, well, campaigning. It was called Irresistible. It was Steve Carell. It was written by Jon Stewart. And all of the extras on the movie, the the interviews and things afterward, well, Jon Stewart said that he had sent the script and, and trailers and stuff to some of the people in politics that he knew and asked them if it was, you know, completely unbelievable or ridiculous and well they all came back and said no i i can see all of this happening and it was sad if you watch the movie and think about just how sad it is um the ridiculous things that happened on both sides it was apolitical it was both bashing on democrats and republicans uh, jointly and not even so much them as parties but just the the process of the uh, campaigns and elections and things like that. Here's a little piece of sound from them. This is really just another perfect example of the D.C. elite trying to dictate how we should live. That's we, your D.C. elite. Oh, no, actually, I'm from here. I'm from Deer Lackett. Democrats are getting their asses kicked. We need some way to protest a more rural-friendly message. If you can't live your principles in the bad times, I guess they aren't principles, they're just hobbies. Nice. John Wayne and a tractor have a baby, and all you can say is nice. So the the concept of the movie is uh, the Democrats find this guy that has well liberal liberal ideals, and he's he's a farmer, and they want to get him on a campaign ticket, and uh, they go out there, and and it turns into a you know a national a nationwide campaign for the the mayorship of this little town and the. the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars that were poured into the campaign. And then there's a twist at the end, and that's kind of funny. So uh, I don't often recommend movies, but I do recommend that one. It is campaign season, so something that pokes fun at politics and the campaign, well, that, that, that's got to be a good thing. So uh, the campaign with uh, Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis, Zach Galifianakis, and then Irresistible, written by Jon Stewart and uh, starring Steve Carell. Good stuff. And of course, you know, you could always rely on South Park for some levity, in case you haven't noticed. I play a lot of South Park because I think South Park is hilarious. I love how they can make fun of absolutely everybody on every aisle on any side of any aisle, in any color, in any anything. And they make fun of them. So uh, one of my favorites regarding elections and South Park. Hello, sir. I'm with the Gallup poll. We're trying to get a read on how people will be voting in the upcoming presidential election. Oh, oh okay. 
Great, and will you be voting for the giant douche or the turd sandwich? Well, this is usually a giant douche household, but we are going firmly with the turd sandwich. Oh, the turd sandwich, huh? That's right. You can put my wife and I both down for turd sandwich. Well, good luck with that. So far, giant douche is leading in the polls. <laughs> That's really how it feels sometimes when we go to the ballot box, isn't it? I mean, we get up there and we're like, you know, the lesser of two evils. So it really does boil down to giant deuce versus turd sandwich. And uh, South Park takes it to the extreme and makes it hilarious. But it is election season. We are hearing tons of campaign crap from both sides of the aisle. And unfortunately, we're still not seeing a whole lot from our third-party candidates. Uh, Don Blankenship and Joe Jorgensen, the Constitution Party and Libertarian Party, respectively. Because that is the way our system is set up, unfortunately. It is nearly impossible for one of these third-party candidates, somebody who's not a Democrat or a Republican, to get national attention. Uh, last time around, the 2016 election, um, Gary Johnson actually got quite a bit of national press. That was fabulous. Unfortunately, Gary Johnson was not the ideal candidate to take down Trump or Hillary or you know, Democrats or Republicans and take down the system. So it unfortunately was the ideal time for a third party to step forward because there were a whole lot of people that weren't thrilled with either of the two major party candidates, but the Libertarian Party just couldn't make it happen, unfortunately, as I said more than once. Uh, Before we move on, I said many times, and I've already said in this episode, I really think that it's Trump or communism at this point. And I fear communism. I fear communism badly. So I am, uh, I don't know that I've ever mentioned it on the show before, but I have ordered my emergency food supply from My Patriot Supply. And of course, the website to do that is preparewithmojo50.com. I actually looked in a lot of places. I looked in the Sportsman's Guide and I looked at uh, My Patriot Supply and I looked at a few other places, and well, what you get, you couldn't beat the price at preparewithmojo50.com. Nobody beat that price, so I placed the order a while ago. I'm waiting for it. I hope it gets here before the world collapses and I actually need it. And while we're talking about sponsors, I didn't mention a sponsor at all last week that I recall, so let me talk about another one. Let's talk about uh, APR Coffee, American Pride Roasters Coffee. I did tell you that I ordered one of the sample packs of APR Coffee. And thus far, my favorite is the Franklin. Now, again, I buy the whole beans and, you know, grind it immediately. The Franklin is a, a nice dark roast, made a good espresso, it made a good coffee. So, so far, of, of the APR coffees I've tried, the Franklin is my favorite. And as much as the other hosts talk about the flavored coffees, like Ron Sexual Chocolate, I don't, I just can't bring myself to try a flavored coffee. So, Franklin, that's my favorite so far. And while we're doing the, uh, the whole sponsorship thing, why not throw in uh, the Patriot Energy commercial? I've got the power! Let me tell you about a new company with values that you can really get behind. 
Patriot Energy is a new veteran-owned company doing solar the right way. Take advantage of government incentives and and cut your electric bill by 30 to 40% while buying your own system with no money down. Support a veteran-owned company, help the environment, and save money. Go to PatriotEnergyAZ.org slash Mojo50 for an estimate. You have choices when it comes to energy. Let Patriot Energy help you make the right choice for you. PatriotEnergyAZ.org slash Mojo50. So, I hope that's enough sponsorship stuff that I feel caught up. Like I said, I didn't mention any of them last week. And, uh, well, I feel kind of guilty about that. So anyway, the movie theaters here in Pennsylvania have recently opened back up. And I went to the movies last week and saw Unhinged, which was pretty much the only new movie that was in the theaters. They were playing a lot of old movies because so many movies have gone straight to digital downloads and stuff like that. So Unhinged was the only new movie that was that was in the theater, so that's what I saw. And I got to say, there was a trailer that interested me. So uh, here, listen to the trailer. It was in 1984 we met Winston Smith. Now, 36 years later, 2020, we will beat Winston's son, William. In 2020... Big Brother is still alive, and the party is still strong. The official party platform has been updated from war is peace and freedom is slavery to hashtag silence is violence. Stay safe, stay home. One party slogan comes to light. Ignorance is strength. Explodes into riots, looting, and murder in the streets. Winston's son, William, is navigating society looking for the new brotherhood resistance. Watch William risk being canceled as he questions the party a story so on point that you'll forget its fiction. 2020 The Movie is written by the headlines produced George Orwell Fan Club. Coming to theaters soon, if they're open. 2020 the movie doesn't that sound fun uh 2020 well it's been an interesting year i'll give it that so uh of course that was me doing an orwellian style parody because i love george orwell and uh love 1984 and 2020 well it's turning into 1984 so why not make a movie out of it but, you know, I'm not the joking around guy. I'm the guy here on Mojo that stays serious and gets into serious topics and spends the entire hour with just a joke every now and then. And here we go. I've wasted well half of this segment uh, and, and really haven't got into much of anything. Sorry about that. I just can't get into it. The conversation with Ed Wynn about how we talk to each other and how we, well, we should talk to each other. It, it really threw me quite a bit, actually. And it's true. We are all partisan. How many, I mean, you look at Facebook. How often do you get on Facebook and read a post, or Twitter, or Parler, and read a post and just immediately have a, a guttural reaction based on the terminology that they used? 
the example that, you know, that Ed and I talked about was climate change. Just the term climate change almost makes me want to roll my eyes. But if you say, you know, be good stewards to the planet, or if you say clean air or clean water, well, now you've got my attention. How many things are like that? How often can we interact with the other side of the political aisle and just change the terminology being used and turn it into a valuable conversation? I, I venture to guess that's something that we can probably do regularly, but we don't, generally speaking. Generally speaking, we don't. Generally speaking, we dig our heels in and we pick our side and we just argue with the other side and that doesn't help anybody and it certainly is not helping our country we've got to figure out how to do this we are i don't want to say more divided than ever because you know we haven't got the civil war yet and that happened once before so i'm gonna guess though i wasn't alive in the 1860s that the country was probably more divided then than it is now but we don't want to be that divided again. So we need to make an effort to converse with the other side. And if it's as easy as just changing our language to make that happen, that seems like a worthwhile endeavor. So I am personally going to try to do that well after this show, because I've got a couple of more pretty snarky gigs that I want to get in before it's all over. Some things that I recorded and put together that I just feel like I have to play. And what one thing that I saw, one thing that I saw online, and this is really long, it's like three minutes long or something like that. I may or may not let the whole thing play because it's so long. Well, you don't come here to listen to me play crap from the internet that you can find yourself. You come to hear my witty and insightful thoughts and comments delivered through the sultry sounds of my voice. So, I don't know. Here, let's just start this video. I saw this, um, I think I saw it on MeWe. Uh, of course, remember, there is a MeWe chat room for the Liberty Lighthouse. So if you're on MeWe, find the Liberty Lighthouse, join the chat room, and we can uh, have a conversation while these shows are going on. But uh, here, let's let's listen to this clip. Hi, I'm a spokesperson for the Democratic Party, and I'm here to tell you why you need to vote blue this November. Democrats are the party of love and tolerance. We promote inclusion and acceptance, peace and goodwill. Republicans don't care about any of these things. They just want to talk about record unemployment, the economy, and keeping communities safe. Fascists. Democrats have positive, practical priorities like abolishing the Electoral College, eliminating due process, and banning hate speech. These are the values of the American people. Well, at least Americans that live in San Francisco and New York. Okay, I'm sorry. I can't let that whole thing play because it is just too divisive. It goes on for three minutes with this mock spokesperson for the Democratic Party and and really paints some, some ugly lines. Democrats and Republicans, and I thought it was hilarious, and that's why I, uh, I, I you know, kept it play on the show. 
but this really is the wrong show for that, given that we spent the first half of the show talking about trying to communicate better with each other. So maybe I shouldn't do that one. And, well, you know what? I'm, I'm in a snarky mood, so I'm going to play something else that doesn't fit into this episode. I don't care. Call this the hodgepodge, sarcastic, you know, bipolar episode if you want. The, you know, the first segment all about how, to, how do we get along, and the second segment me being a uh, partisan prick. But I made this, this, uh, this next montage. I made this before I spoke to Ed and before I set the tone of this episode. So I still want to play it. I, I, I feel like I'm playing a whole lot of sound points and not doing a whole lot of talking this week. I'm sorry. Well, I don't know. Maybe you like that better. Um, this is a, well, this is a montage of Joe Biden talking to voters. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. You're selling access to the president just like me. So you You're a damn liar, man. That's not true. And no one has ever said that. we got to stop building and replacing pipelines. Okay, so the sound quality on some of these is, is pretty bad. But what Joe just said was, you better just go vote for someone else. That's a great campaign strategy, right? Rather than try to win over this potential voter, just tell them to go vote for somebody else. I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. You're full of shit. I don't know if you could hear that last one, but he called this potential voter a horse's ass. That's that's good stuff. Um. I don't like Joe Biden as a presidential candidate. I'm pretty sure that's clear. My theory, I, I honestly don't understand why anybody would vote for Joe. For one, if you are a Democrat and you want change, well, why would you vote for the old white guy who has been in Congress for 47 years? That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Then, when you start looking into the why would you vote for this guy and you start looking at video clips, you find all of those ones I just played where Joe just outright threatens and insults his potential voters. I really don't get it. Why would anybody want to vote for this guy? It's, it's sad. I Honestly, I think Bernie got robbed again. I think the party... The party being the people, I think the people on the Democratic side want Bernie or you know, somebody like Bernie. But the party establishment doesn't want that. The party establishment wants somebody that they can control, somebody that's underneath the umbrella of you know, the party platform or whatever. I don't know why. But well, Bernie got robbed again. And now Joe Biden is the presidential candidate. I don't know what to tell you, but I don't get it. I don't understand why anybody would vote for him, other than those people who just hate Trump and they would vote for a cactus rather than vote for Donald Trump. Those are the only votes that I can understand. Those are the only votes for Joe that make any sense to me. 
that you like, I'm sorry, you hate Donald Trump so bad has nothing to do with how much you like Joe Biden. It's you hate Donald Trump so bad that you would vote for anybody else. Well, like I've said, I didn't vote for Trump the first time around. And I don't really want to vote for Trump this time around. But I'm going to because I, I, I don't want to risk a Joe Biden presidency. I saw a Facebook meme uh, recently that said, what's worse than COVID-19? And it's Biden 20. And I went, yep, that's exactly right. And that's when I went on to uh, my Patriot Supply and checked the status of my emergency food order. <laughs> okay. Let's try to spend those last couple of minutes of the show on topic rather than rambling away. But before we do that, let me talk about one more thing that I forgot last week. My, uh, my conversation, my interview with Mr. John Emmons last week, I didn't get any, well, any supporters in or any announcements or anything. So just a friendly reminder that if you go to liberty-lighthouse.com, and you click the support the show link that's right there on that front page, and you become a financial supporter of this show, that you will be entered into a contest. And in that contest, you have the chance to win one of the fun and fabulous prizes from the Liberty Lighthouse store. So, before September 30th, click the support the show link, Give us 99 cents a month or more if you're feeling generous and your name's on the list. And that list will be used to select a supporter at random to pick the item of their choice from the Liberty Lighthouse store. So like I said uh, two weeks ago, if you click the support link for 99 cents a month on September you know, 29th, and then on October 1st, you cancel that. It costs you 99 cents to enter the contest. But if you don't cancel it and you leave it there, if 5,000 people give the Liberty Lighthouse 99 cents a month, then I can retire from the post office and I can do the Liberty Lighthouse every day. I could do five days a week of the Liberty Lighthouse. And not just the Liberty Minute that I do now, the 60-second headline reviews that I do six mornings a week. Oh, if you haven't caught those yet, go to liberty-lighthouse.com and manage your way over to the Liberty Minute page. Six days a week, I do, well, sometimes snarky headline reviews. So you get your morning news in 60 seconds from the Liberty Minute. I could do more than just a Liberty Minute if you, 5,000 of you, donate 99 cents a month to the Liberty Lighthouse. As a matter of fact, if I didn't work for the post office, I could run for public office. I could take an elected job, which several people have suggested that I do to run for office, that is. I can't run for office as long as I work for the USPS. That is illegal. So, if you like the idea of Postal Pete becoming an elected official, 
Well, be one of the 5,000 people that donates 99 cents a month to the Liberty Lighthouse, and that becomes much closer to reality. Anyway, so back to, you know, reality, back to the idea that we are too partisan as a nation, and back to the idea that we need to be better at communicating with the other side. I don't think anybody can argue that we need to be better with communicating with the other side, no matter which side you're on. So, it's a personal choice. We have to attempt to do that. And, well, with some people it'll work and some people it won't. I have my neighbor across the street that I've mentioned on the show many times, Jamil. Jamil's a progressive, but Jamil... Well, he thinks relatively logically, and he and I can communicate. We argue back and forth, but at the end of the day, it's like, love you, man, love you, man, and it's over. But we don't all have people like that in our lives from the other side of the political aisle. Some of the people on the other side of the political aisle are like my my, my distant cousin who argues with me on Facebook constantly. But, uh, well, there are some people that are just looking for the fight. There are some people that are, well, they're so partisan themselves that they can't put aside the partisan politics and actually talk in a way where the other side will understand. So we need to make that effort. Whether you're left, right, or center, we need to watch our language. Another example from earlier with Edwin, Black Lives Matter. I really don't think there's, well, there's anybody in the country that would argue that, yes, black lives do matter. I don't think there's anybody out there that would argue the opposite. Say, nope, black people don't matter at all. Just screw them. They can all die. I don't think there's anybody like that. But the Black Lives Matter organization. Well, they have put that bad taste in the mouth of anybody on the right side of the political aisle because of their admission of being a Marxist organization. So the term Black Lives Matter leaves that bad taste in our mouth. We just need to find new terms. But we're out of time. So until next week, protect your liberties. Once they're gone, there's no getting them back. God bless America. Thanks for listening to Liberty Lighthouse with Peter Seraphine. Be sure to sign up at liberty-lighthouse.com to download Peter's free ebook from the file share page. And don't forget to call or text 64MYRIGHTS to leave comments for the show. That's 646-974-4487.